0: Make sure you follow us on social media, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. And with that, let's continue with your show.
1: User experience and customer experience always tend to complement each other. As similar as they sound, they tend to run parallelly in terms of adding value to the service. A good user experience gives a user the ability to complete the desired task with ease. Whereas a good customer experience has a pleasant, professional, and a helpful interaction with organization's representatives. Hence, it is important to establish an interrelationship between UX and CX to develop a holistic system. And that's why, Today, we have with us an individual who has journeyed across multiple specializations within design. Jayadatta, Senior Vice President of User Experience at MakeMyTrip.com and founder and curator of the DesignUp community in India. His expertise varies from balancing strategy with creativity to creating opportunities with abilities, making him the perfect combination of the left and right-brained thinking. On a journey of discovering designing, today, let's get into a conversation with him on user experience and customer experience reinvented. Hey, hi, Jay. Welcome to Avantika Designering series. Thank you so much for joining us on our show.
2: Thank you. Thanks for your invite. It's a real pleasure getting in touch with your students and your team. So Jay, before we start
1: into your journey and what you do at your workplace, uh, you know I would like to know about the situation around right now uh, during this pandemic and how you are coping, with, uh, coping up with it. So in fact, in fact, if we see a crisis usually sharpens the focus in terms of our priorities, and it may even have uh, revealed feelings that one has been repressing. Uh, In fact, uh, we've always had this desire to work from home regularly. Uh, There are times when we want to travel for work, either more or less, or find greater fulfillment in what we do every day. The question that I have is, what are the changes that you have implemented during this lockdown phase?
2: Sure. Um, Yeah, I think this has been an unusual uh, once-in-a-lifetime situation, as everyone's calling it. As a family, we went through a series of medical emergencies since mid March. So, and, and while that was happening, we were at different parts of the uh, of the country as such. Um, so, it's been a fairly stressful time. I was also leading the volunteer team on Arogyasetu app, which completely threw my work life and schedules into chaos. So, I think endless video and WhatsApp calls, few hours of sleep at odd hours in the day or night. Um, with the project handed over, I think I've got back to spending some more time with my team. And uh, what I've been trying to do is to really keep in touch uh, with the team um, at work beyond work and project requirements. And it's it's a fairly big team across multiple locations. So uh, so what used to happen in the pre-pandemic era is the, the people in Bangalore would get a little bit of more attention and time. I think remote work has been a great equalizer for everyone. I think everyone gets the same time. And a lot of people have gone back to their hometowns uh, as well. The other big change has been giving up on social media. So I'm increasingly refusing to throw away my attention for cheap thrills. No longer trading my focus for likes and views. And I have gone off Twitter. Um, Maybe I visit about twice a month. Uh, That's been the last few months. Facebook, probably once in a few months, uh, and I've been averaging about eight minutes on Instagram. Um, So a friend of mine asked me, like, am I not missing out? And the the answer really is that I replaced FOMO with JOMO. So essentially the fear of missing out with the joy of missing out. And instead, I've been, of course, uh, trying to meditate. It's not an easy one. Doing plenty of Sudokus, and I think I've been doing at least two in a day. And I think, of course, eating a disproportionate amount of banana chips. Apart from that, I've been reading much more. So that's that's probably been some readjustments uh, which lockdown has brought.
1: Wow. I think that's an exciting amount of genes that you've been able to get. And right. um, uh, some some really interesting thing. In fact, I love the uh, JOMO uh, uh, terminology that you use. Superb. So we'll we'll catch up more on some of these things uh, while we interact with you. Uh, so, Jay, uh, moving forward, we first want to know about your professional journey from Ojilvi and Mathur to Make My Trip and even Aroja Setu.
2: Uh, if I were to sum up, it's a long journey. So, if I were to sum it up in one line, it's a series of risks, some disasters, some unusual twists. And um, each of these kind of decisions brought new learnings. Uh, To make it simpler, I thought, let me divide it into three big acts. Act number one, um, I worked for a very short-lived design agency within Ogilvy called Artistry. The highlight was creating the identity for India's 50th year of independence, which was like loved and adopted by millions of people worldwide, I mean, all Indians across the world. I moved to Mauritius post my Ogilvy days, and uh, that was with a, with a French agency there, uh, part of the publicist group, and uh, worked a lot with a, a, a hotel group whose uh, hotels regularly feature in Conde as top 10. There are two of them which are very, very well known. And uh, Mauritius was a very magical place. I mean, sharp hills and beautiful roads winding down to beautiful white sand beaches with clean warm waters I think it was an amazing time but it was also a little crazy time because internet was still dial up there was no Netflix and we used to get um, English films once a week or or even Hindi films once a week everything was French or or Creole and all of that so I think um, this is also the point I got infatuated with web design and taking brands online um, but it was an era of uh, brochureware websites. So two years uh, in Mauritius and I moved to London, then Bristol. Um, this is very unusual in those days because Indians were really hired for coding and uh, I mean they were seen as the software guys and nothing to do with design per se. Uh, then it was time of dot-com boom, flash, slow internet, but lots of optimism and some crazy business models. Uh, then, of course, comes 9-11 and the dot-com burst. So let me jump to the act two. It starts with me losing my job. Um, so me and my team, I could almost see them still waiting outside the HR's um, big conference room on 100 Victoria Street in Bristol. We were going to re- hear the inevitable Um, A lot of us lost the jobs, and and, um, what I did was to do my MS in design management in Manchester, studying with people from Turkey, Portugal, Japan, and Greece. Um, And these guys came from engineering, logistics, marketing, computer science, finance, extremely wide mix, and a wonderful opportunity to connect disparate dots. I think this has been a theme of my life as I have gone ahead. this also led to some interesting freelance work, freelance projects. Um, some of this happened to click. And I ended up getting a decent funding to start my own company in Manchester in Salford Keys, where today BBC Studios are. And we worked for clients across Europe, uh, South Africa, uh, sort of Southeast Asia, etc. And then kind of as if on a queue, another recession hit. And with recession seems to be my act, next act change, act three. I, I don't know what 2020 will bring, but act three here is I come back to India uh, after a decade plus of living outside. Um, after a short stint in branding, I joined Adobe to ramp up the design team. And, and uh, because I was missing tech, I think in my UK years, I'd completely moved into design and tech. And uh, after, after sort of, um, this years of building up the design team at Adobe, almost five and a half years later, I left for Flipkart. And in the middle of the Flipkart days was another infatuation. It, it's a, it's a startup called ConfiQ. And when I think of ConfiQ, I still get super excited talking about it. ConfiQ was the trip advisor of conferences and we were invited to Collision in Las Vegas. I, Think we ended up in the category of most promising startups. Lots of interest, but none of these converted into funding. I quit Flipkart. My partner in Seattle, Jody Rogers, he quit his job and uh, and gave it all we had. But funding on the scale we wanted just completely eluded us. And uh, then, I mean, of course, we had schools fees to pay. We had EMIs to give. So interestingly i was noticed by alok goel md at saf with whom i was discussing funding so the switch happened from raising money to being part of a vc and uh, quite an odd ball in the middle of very sharp left brain folks uh, then saf to mmt saf also was uh, was the, the the funder for make my trip and that's where I've been. Uh, Arogyasethu, of course, was a voluntary uh, bit from make my trip to help uh, the government of India. And uh, primarily, it's my day job at MMT, which is the big focus today.
1: Wow, that's that's an exciting journey. Um, so many interesting things that have happened, and uh, such beautifully that you expressed it. But there's one more thing that you've been doing, and that is uh, running Design Up. In fact, um, uh, one of the leading uh, initiatives in, in the fraternity of design in India, a community which is absolutely strong and thriving. Tell us more about it. How did DesignUp happen?
2: So I started design up while working with SAF Partners. Um, it was also a time when my professor and a mentor at NID, uh, MP Ranjan, passed away that year. And usually I would be complaining about things, and MP Ranjan would say, What are you going to do about it? And in some ways, my complaint about not having the kind of conference I wanted, I thought, Let me just uh, create that conference. And that's how um, Design Up was born. Uh, Make My Trip was super supportive after I moved from SAF to, to uh, MMT. And over the Years, I think DesignUp has, of course, taken a lot of weekends and evenings and helped me meet a whole bunch of people. And the other thing which would not have been possible, of course, is, is without the support of the volunteer team, Narayan, who's my co-founder, who helps a lot in everything, especially the logistics, which is immense at times. And uh, yeah, that's how, that's how Design Up really, really kind of took shape.
1: By the way, do you know, MakeMyTrip has 10 times more number of hotels listed on their platforms globally than in India. They have over 77,000 hotels listed in India, while more than 7 lakh hotels across the globe. In fact, uh, you know, couldn't agree to you more, I discovered that Design as a concept is so uh, undefined and yet so ingrained in our daily lives that it is often something that we, you know, land up taking for granted. Superb. So moving from design up to uh, a very interesting thing that is mentioned on your LinkedIn description, and it, and it's quite exciting. So it says, J.D. is a high-wire balance artist. His special skills are balancing the left and the right brain thinking, strategy with creativity, data with pixels, opportunity with abilities, people with projects, and importantly, grace with pleasure. What excites me is how do you actually create this balance? How do you manage all of this? How do you multitask all these roles uh, at Design Up, at Make My Trip, at Arogya Setu app? And there's so much, so much exciting things that you're doing. How how do you manage your time?
2: I think there is just a two word answer to this. Uh, it's immense curiosity. So my friend Shiva um, tells me that my interests range from domestic dentistry in Outer Mongolia to Europeans in the Mughal court, and that kind of sums it up. So I, I thrive in the middle of things. Um, if I don't, it just bores um, bores me to death. Uh, So I'm interested in astronomy, economics, behavioral sciences, philosophy. I'm a big history buff. Uh, Science fiction, typography, design, voice UI. I think I enjoy the ride of connecting those dots, very, very different dots. And I I guess that's what gives me the energy to go on and on. So again, I, I don't think I know a lot of things, but I have this immense desire to know a lot of things. And I think that's what gives me that energy to really go on. And yeah, there's no other secret sauce to that, actually.
1: Wow, that's that's exciting. And how I wish all of us could build up some of these uh, skill sets while we are at work. So in fact, Jay, uh, communities are built on social models. In fact, for the people, by the people, and of the people. But at the same time, they require sustainability and systematic growth. My question is that as a community leader... How do you balance these
2: different angles for building a thriving community? So I think um, when I think about Design Up, I didn't really set out to build a community and I still don't think so. So building a community really is a paradox. Uh, a community is like a blob of mercury. It just moves and grows and changes direction. If you try to hold it, it slips between your fingers. And I think that's what communities are really, kind of. You really can't put a border or a boundary to it, and they're very, very fluid and flexible. Um, I think I set out to share what I believe is interesting, share things that the designers of tomorrow should know or think about. Um, So at Up, we share things that excite us, areas we want our colleagues and teams and friends and younger designers to know. Uh, explore and learn these, these kind of areas. The other interesting thing is that design up, we don't do it for the money part of it. None of us do it for the money, which gives us immense freedom. And I've spoken about this uh, a number of times, even on stage. But, um, this big growing community, I think the interesting part of it is that it's not a faceless construct because, um, we know a lot of people very personally. I think, um, some of them keep coming back year after year. Some of them we have worked with at some point. I think all of that gives us also a very deep sense of responsibility because these are people who we directly or indirectly know. Uh, the other thing is, of course, is to be more inclusive. And uh, we have tried to also include adjacent groups like product managers, data scientists, engineers, front-end engineers, Um Journalists, you name it, I think we have we have kind of broadened the scope of it because we want more people. And I think it goes back to what I was talking about, um, the whole curiosity angle of connecting more and more dots. So I guess that's how it has grown organically and an extension of what we believe.
1: Do you know, everyone's favorite travel booking partner, Redbus and Goibibo are owned and operated by MakeMyTrip. Jay, moving from community building to your uh, current working role. In fact, there are millions of existing design processes and methods and frameworks uh, in user experience design. And it's always a struggle to know which usability problem they should prioritize to resolve first obviously as a result uh, some have paralysis and waste precious time and effort before they can start their process my question is how do you tackle this problem
2: yeah you're absolutely right there are millions of processes and you know if you look at medium there are so many articles written about a or b or c or z or whatever, and. Uh, If there is one thing that we should know and do, it's just very, very simple. It's always start with the why. Um, It's a fairly well-known practice. It's not a secret. There are books written on it. There are talks, trainings, you name it. But the fact is that it seems so simple that few consistently follow it. Um, So I think the one thing that I tell my team, the one thing that I always kind of talk to PMs and insist on all the time is really um, start with questions like, why are we building this? Why is it important now? Why does it matter to the business? And very, very importantly, why will the user find value in this? So you could add a whole bunch of why's to it, but this is really at the heart of what we do. The why really dictates what you will do next, when will you do it, how will you do it. The the answer to these whys is your really your purpose and compass to guide you out of your choice paralysis, which you were talking about. And I think it helps clarify and not waste some of your precious time. I guess what the other part which people are a little afraid of is that answering those whys might take time, but not answering those whys might take even more time. So I think that's what I would kind of always encourage designers young or old and kind of insist that i do it myself as well
1: in fact um, you know among multiple strategies ones uh, that have also become buzzwords in 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 today's market are user experience and consumer experience or cx uh, one is said to be an acquisition model and another is is uh, known to be a retention based model so can these be differentiated as black and white at workplace i mean how do professionals or you at your organization prioritize between ux and cx
2: so the prevalent thinking is that the user may still be a prospective buyer or a customer whereas a customer is a user who's brought into or bought into sorry the product or service so ux is kind of focused on pre-sales and sales and CX on post-sales. But I would say, how about the user experience or the UX of the post-sales part? We kind of all love speculating and arguing and definitions, but the designer really needs to think through the entire customer journey. And it doesn't really stop once the customer has paid money or signed up or become a customer. I think the presence of absence of a good customer experience will, of course, lead to much greater heartburn once the user has paid because now you your expectations probably also start to go up. You bought in thinking of, of what you saw in the show window. Now you're expecting all of it to be delivered. And, of course, with Indian customers, they sometimes expect 120%. Uh, so I think it's where is UX and CX. And, again, great question, by the way, um, these are in some ways compartmentalized or talked about. I would, I would really encourage designers to think end to end, and uh, really think in terms of retention and long term value. Oh, wow, that's an exciting thought. So moving from there to make my
1: trip. Um, in fact, in a conference which is Future of Work uh, 2020, while talking about how to measure design, you mentioned. To show that you are creating value, you must measure what you are doing. My question is, how do you measure the design impact at Make My Trip?
2: So at Make My Trip, uh, we have quite a few lines of businesses and each line will have slightly varying metrics. Uh, Of course, the million dollar question is how did design contribute to the bottom line, to profits, um, and obviously sales and all of that being, being the reason why... Um, the bottom line kind of grows. Um, now, these are very deeply entangled with other variables. So, some of the more simplistic ways of looking at it are, of course, engagement, task completion, bounce rates, drop offs. And uh, we definitely focus a lot on that. Um, we look at which stage of the journey are people dropping off? Are they not doing something but completing the task? Uh, are they doing shortcuts? Are they doing So I think each of them is a very interesting data point and a a learning for us. Um, But one thing we need to remember is that these are at a visit level in the sales funnel. The other thing which I really encourage designers to think deeply about, and so do PM and data scientists, is how do we influence the lifetime value of the customer via building trust, loyalty, retention, Sometimes a user at one visit level may not convert, may not do the right things, but at a multiple um, visit, this thing plays out uh, beyond just the sales funnel and across a much longer, deeper connect with the organization. That's probably the best way of kind of balancing both these perspectives.
1: That's an interesting thought. In fact, uh, Make My Trip is now closely working with airlines around concepts like contactless check ins, richer in product features and design. My question to you, Jay, is how do you gauge where the tailwinds from trends are headed and then intentionally make a great product?
2: I think, um, as I said before, the curiosity helps. And I think just like at an individual level, people are curious. I think organizations need to be curious and I think it helps you anticipate not just the tailwinds, but also the headwinds as well. Um, I think being aware and connected to your users, your partners, like hotels and airlines, stakeholders, like we have a lot of travel experts. We also work with agents and bookers and corporates, uh, all of that. Those actually help a lot. I think it, it keeps us kind of real. It keeps us being honest. Um, having said that ideas, great ideas can come from anywhere. Um, it could be from adjacent industries or even very different industries. But I think overall, as a curious corporation, I think it's very important to keep scanning the skies if I were to use that that metaphor.
1: Well that's that's quite beautifully put up there. So UX as a tool is now used as an essential differentiator in the commoditized ecosystem of ticket booking. My question is, how do you keep coming up with new ideas for change at Make My Trip?
2: If you think of it, the and again, it's, a, it's another million dollar question here. Ticket buying truly is transactional. But if you think about it, there are two areas where um, third party online travel agents or OTAs like us can add value. So, one stage is um, helping users make uh, informed, considered, thought through choices at the right price because you're scanning the entire list of all available options. The second part where we can make a difference is the post-booking process super easy. Now, the second part is really a mild field because we deal with banks and payment methods, booking systems. Um, Each hotel might have a very different platform. Airlines um, will not always have a consolidated platform. So it's really a minefield, the second part. Um, What... The dependency on the second part is a lot on APIs and and, uh, good communication, good cross-linking, negotiation, etc. But the first part, helping users make a good choice, uh, seeing a complete selection at a great price, I think that's where UX can help add a lot of value.
1: Interesting. In fact, adding to that, how vital do you think it is for designers to think about how they might design for social connectedness in an interestingly
2: social distancing world. Right. I think, um, we do mistake, um, social media as social connectedness which is probably the wrong thing and to sort of say how important is it i think it's it's very important definitely and i think we should not let ourselves be fooled and we definitely need to think beyond platforms that are completely rewarding the wrong metrics while they happily steal away your attention your focus your concentration um and and add to different ways of i mean Social media kind of can add to, uh, change the way you think, the way you approach, the way you sort of live your life. Um, social connectedness, on the other hand, is probably how can you really build empathy, kindness, connections. It's not to encourage trolling, fights, arguments, and so on. Um, in design, there were a couple of people, and, and uh, Alicia Naples, uh, for example, she's talked a lot about that. Are well worth going back and revisiting some of our earlier talks, um, but some some wonderful ideas there. Uh, broadly, I think if designers are thinking inside the screens, then they have to think beyond those views and likes and you know hate messages. And I think if you are thinking beyond the screen, it's even better. How can you continue to telling the story beyond the screen itself? Sorry, very esoteric answer, but I think it's a it's a very broad one, uh, broad question as well. So.
1: And moving from there, uh, Jay, how do you differentiate between user experience designers and digital product designers? Uh, Where do you think the trend is moving forward? Uh, Because we hear both these roles uh, coming up, these designations being flashed on LinkedIn. Uh, So since you come from the world of user experience design, where do you think it's moving to?
2: So I think, uh, again, interesting question. My perception is that UX is a broader meta-level term. Um, Experience design, for example, encompasses designing in analog surveys, ATM screens, um, let's say check-in kiosks, um, chatbots, even ordering food online via apps or websites and all of that. So very interestingly, product designers who have always designed physical products were very upset when UX designers started borrowing the term product design. Um, So digital product design is definitely better. I think it's a much more precise definition. But if you think about it, I mean, when I started, UX as a term did not exist. Uh, It was, um, we had to borrow from different um, areas. For example, um, digital art director, usability analyst, information architect, Etc. So as you can see, we are borrowing from architecture and analysts and you know advertising agencies and so on. The fact is that broadly you are still a designer, your tool sets may be slightly different, your applications will be different, but again, these will change. Trends will keep changing, new kind of trendy titles will keep coming up. But are you an interaction slash user experience design? I still think that's a good. Strong meta term.
1: Oh, that's quite well put. And in fact, when we talk about the world of user experience, the one thing uh, which is indispensable is is the world of technology. In fact, the ability to convey use, uh, you know, convey design uh, intent intuitively, even to people with no background in design or construction, is an essential benefit of design visualization and immersive technology. So. You know the question that that I came up here with is: Are these technologies going to remain niche or become mainstream very soon?
2: So I think the promised land for all, almost all niche technologies, is to go mass market. I think to be used by and consumed by millions of people, and that's probably the real holy grail. Actually, the more and more tech is going mainstream and becoming commoditized. And I think it's also becoming consumerized. So whether you look at um, photo applications like Photoshop to what we currently have, everything is becoming very quick, easy, consumerized. I think the fundamental question still remains the same. It's about usefulness. It's not about cheap or usable. So for example, if it is super useful, but very complex to use, very niche very expensive, you will still have people wanting it and willing to pay for it. But if it's cheap, usable, um, high on usability, very consumable, very mainstream, but it's not useful, there will be hardly any takers. I think the focus really is what I spoke about in that why portion is why is it useful? Why is it of value to the user? And people will find a way of getting there.
1: Very interesting. In fact, this moves the attention towards my last question that design and tech is how your story described the Design Up Festival. And at Avantika University, we call this philosophy design hearing. Do you think this philosophy is relevant and do you see uh, any implications of
2: the same in the real world? I think these are different paths, different street names, but very often the destination is very similar. I think we um, define it as making tech edible, making tech more human and human by design. Uh, Design hearing seems to suggest a hybrid a cross between design and engineering. So I think traditionally these disciplines were seen as other ends of the spectrum. So one is very rational, logical, black and white, uh, left brain, numbers, data driven. Uh, whereas design is about the other aspects, the software aspects, cognitive, behavioral sciences, psychology, blue sky thinking, innovation, perception, right brain. I think it's, this is what I read into it. So I, I'm, again, my perception, my subjective opinion. But then again, I think a lot depends upon how your students and parents think of the term. So I think that's where I'll probably kind of, uh, uh dissociate and say that, yeah. Maybe I have a very different point of view from the way they say it.
1: Interesting. I think um, it was very insightful discussing some of these things. And uh, personally, I, as the host of the show, wish that we could spend some more time actually getting into depth, but I'm sure that uh, our listeners can reach out to you uh, through some of these social media channels where you still spend time, LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, Do remember that he's still on Instagram for nearly 10 minutes every day. So that's a good time for you to catch up with Jay, (laughs) Um, you know, asking more in-depth questions because I'm sure that uh, there's still a lot of curiosity and excitement to know more from him, learn more from him and receive his guidance and mentoring. Thank you so much, Jay, for doing this. Thank you for joining us on Avantika Designering Podcast Series. It was a pleasure hosting you on our show.
2: Same here, same here. Thank you so much. It was a real pleasure speaking with you. And uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I'm also hoping to probably start a few sessions with students. And I think um, just wait and watch and we'll put it on LinkedIn sometime soon. Um, I think the level of engagement on a lot of social media platforms is very superficial. So maybe more like one-hour sessions to help students, to help them look at things in, in a different way and possibly understand the world of work which they are going to enter. Um, So yeah, I think more details on that soon. Uh, But yeah, thank you so much for for having me on the show.
0: Hey there, we hope you enjoyed our show. Do write to us on ads at the rate avantika.edu.in. We look forward to your opinions, feedbacks and suggestions of speakers you would like us to host on this show. Do tune in our channel next week on Wednesday for a new story on Hub Hopper or wherever you get your podcast from. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter.